Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have a fun one on tap for you today. Uh, rather than get heavy duty into a very specific uh, upcoming handicapping topic, uh, this one kind of falls more into the Evergreen series uh, that we've been doing this offseason, this football, this NFL offseason. Um, today, we are joined by a guest uh, who hails from Canada, Advantage player, great Twitter handle, great Twitter handle, maybe one of the better ones uh, that you come across out there, at Plus EV Analytics. First time guest, welcome to the Deep Dive. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. Right on. So, um, I, yeah, we, do, we haven't done an evergreen with a guest. Like no, most of our evergreens have just been you and true. I. This will be a this will be a first. Yeah, no. The per- one, yeah, we, we we did the one NBA modeling with Woody that was pretty evergreen. I feel like that was uh, oh, that true. was with with the guest. But this, but yeah, this this is we're going to cover um, all kinds of fascinating topics related to kind of being you know how how you go about becoming an advantage player and you know finding a niche and you know kind of doing uh, doing your you know, doing your due diligence on the side of understanding math and probability and some of the key concepts that really kind of lend themselves to being a long-term winner in this space. Uh, because, you know, and, and these are, these are things that we're, you know, we'll talk about that, uh, you know, that we're not going to get into the, the nitty gritty details, but, um, but I definitely came across, uh, your, your, some of your work, uh, um, and, uh, we'll, we'll go, we'll call you Matt, Matt, uh, uh, I came across some of your work, Matt, uh, over the last year or two, just researching and trying to understand more about this industry and the space. Uh, and you had a great, uh, article that, uh, was kind of a nice rebuttal for some of the work that Joseph Buchtal had published at, uh, Pinnacle, where you came back and talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the issues and strategies behind uh, using Kelly for bankroll management. And it was a fascinating read. And you kind of, you know, clearly point out uh, some of the key math issues and some of the probability uh, aspects that you have to have in mind when you're doing this stuff, if you're going to win long term. Uh, so thanks for all of your your stuff that you've published. I know I'm looking looking forward to the stuff that you have coming out, uh, kind of touching on uh, modeling and and, um, you know, the predictive power of, uh, of markets and things like that. So it's so thanks again for your time and thanks for joining us. And uh, you excited? Yeah, to, thanks uh, for having me. I'm I'm, uh, I'm a new listener to your podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. I, I love them. I love what uh, what you guys are doing. This is ah. this is my first podcast appearance. So you guys are uh, are the lucky uh, the lucky first. And uh, let's get into things. Cool. So uh, tell we're, me a little bit about. Get, we're uh, getting in on the ground floor. Yeah, the, that's we're, true. We're going to be the first guys, man. Before this yeah, is, this is my rookie card. <laughs> yeah. No, this. Yeah, we have the rookie card. All right. Inher- it's inherently, cool. Valuable. Just like even it. just yeah. <laughs> Over yeah, over like the last day, just in uh, we you know we just have been DMing a little in preparation for this, and just like getting to know like what you're doing, and I mean without spoiling some of the things you're going to talk about, it just kind of blew our minds. Like oh, that's that's what you're doing, and this is what you're into, and I guess we yeah. kind of surprised you too with some of the stuff when we started talking about betting on the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, there's you know it's uh, I- it's really that's something yeah we've said like that as we've talked to people over the last couple of years you know various handicappers it's just wild the 
the various ways that somebody can find an edge in all the various, because there just are so many ways to do it. There's so many markets, there's so many niches, and it's really cool when you when you hear somebody and that, God, we just love to hear the process, especially when it is in a, a niche market like that. Yeah, everyone's got their niche, and uh, mine's maybe a little more unique than others, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to share it with you guys. It turns out there's no wrong way to be an advantage player. Uh, there are many ways to do it. There's no one right way. That's not guess, true. There are a whole I bunch of wrong ways to do it. There's a bunch of there's a, <laughs> yeah, if you're, you're not well if you're doing it wrong, you're not an advantage player. But there's That's a bunch true. of there are a bunch of right ways to be an advantage player. And so, looking forward to this discussion. Um, All right. How, how did you get involved on Twitter? And first, out of curiosity, and how did you come up with that uh, handle plus EV Analytics? So, so, so maybe I'll start from the very beginning because it, it kind of leads into that story. So, so I, I would bet that a lot of your listeners don't realize this, but sports betting is legal in Canada and has been legal since the early 90s, sort of. So the way it works here <laughs> is sports, sports betting, as in single-game sports betting, is illegal against the law in Canada and has been since who knows when, forever. Um, but there's this weird quirk in Canadian law where if you start parlaying games together, by the, the definition of the law, it's no longer a sports bet. And it actually becomes a lottery ticket. And, and it's just one of those weird examples of how mathematically ignorant some of these lawmakers can be. Because I, you know, <laughs> I, I get the idea that, hey, you know, and then no, nobody can use skill to win a parlay because it's so random. Um, but you know, the object of a parlay is just, the, just the same as a, as a regular bet, just kind of multiplied together. But you know, the law is what it is and these things don't change very, very easily. So something gets encoded in the law and it, and it stays in there forever. So we have this great thing in Canada where you can just walk down to the local gas station or convenience store and, uh, and buy a, a, a parlay ticket. Now, the, the one really big downside to this, and I think it's similar to what a lot of these new jurisdictions in the states are, are, are coming up with, is the VIG is just outrageous. So on a, on a game that's a pick 'em, you'll actually get uh, a 1.7 decimal odds, which is around minus 143, minus 143 on each side. So it's like an 86-cent line, if you want to call it that. <laughs> So start there and then tack on the requirement that you've got to parlay at least three of these things together. And you're looking at a minimum 39% theoretical hold compared to the, I don't know, pinnacle might be at two and a half percent and the other guys might be around three to 4% theoretical hold. We're looking at 39%. So it was um, commonly held wisdom that it was just impossible to, to, to beat that kind of vig, and anybody who played it was either a sucker or somebody who was just playing uh, just recreationally, throw a couple of bucks down for fun and not have any expectation oh of winning. And that's really where, where I come into it because, you know, I was a, a teenager when, at, the, at the time and my dad would take me to Maple Leaf Gardens, the old Maple Leaf Gardens, to see the Leafs. And before the game, we'd go to the convenience store and He'd buy me uh, something called a Fruitella, which is like a proto-Starburst, pre-Starburst kind of really chewy candy. And then sometimes he'd, he'd let me spend, you know, five bucks on a, on a Proline ticket. And, and uh, unfortunately, I was so into it that I would spend most of the game looking at the out-of-town scoreboard because there was, of course, mm. of course, there was no, uh, no cell phones, no internet. We're talking like mid-90s here. So my only uh, source of... of, of uh, information on whether my bet was winning was looking at the out-of-town scoreboard. Anyway, this is, you know, I'd throw five bucks down here and there. Again, no, no real expectation of, of, uh, of winning anything. 
Um, and then in about 2007 or so, something changed. We all have these moments, these individual things that happen to us that really alter our destiny, alter the course of our <laughs> lives. And, and really, for me, it was, and I think it was 2007, it was in the hockey playoffs. I think Ottawa was playing Pittsburgh, if I, if I recall this correctly. And, and the Lottery Corporation started offering these uh, NHL player props where you could have a matchup of uh, maybe it was Alfredson on Ottawa and Sidney Crosby on Pittsburgh, and you get two points for every goal they score and one point for every assist. And, you know, whoever has more points at the end of the, the game is, is the winner. And you could actually parlay that with, you know, the, the, the winner of the game. So you could have Ottawa to beat <laughs> Pittsburgh parlayed with Alfredson to have more points than Crosby. Now, I, I did and do have a bit of a math a lot of math background. I'm, I'm an actuary by, uh, by day. So I, I understood the idea that having a correlated parlay would be helpful, but I still didn't, I, I had no, uh, I had no expectation that that would be enough to beat this 39% VIG, but you know, I'm bored. I'm, I'm I want to watch the game. So I, I go to the, uh, convenience store down the street. I fill up my parlay card, I want to put down my $20 bet. And, and this is the, the moment that really changed my life because when I handed the guy my $20 and my filled in parlay card, he runs it through his machine and he has a look on his face. And, you know, these convenience store guys don't always speak the best English. So he, he turns the, the, the little monitor over to me and, 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 and it said liability limit exceeded. So the, oh, what? The, the, the government of Ontario that runs this thing, which is, I would say probably I'm, 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 I didn't fact check this, but probably around the size of, of like a California or a Florida in terms of an economic uh, entity has now rejected my $20 bet because they're worried about their liability uh, on a bet that has about 39% or so theoretical hold actually even more than that. Cause I think I'd had two, two teams and two players together. Cause you have to parlay at least three of these things together. So, so that really set off kind of a, a red flag or a, you know, my, my, my eyes opened up. And, and so I went home that day and I started work on my first. Yeah, Rob, uh, Rob Ford. Ford put the kibosh on your bet there. That's wild. Yeah, well, this is, this is way before Rob Ford, but I appreciate the reference. Oh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, so, so, uh, so I went home and started work on my, uh, on my first model. And, and, and I said, okay, well, you know, the, I, I know what a Poisson distribution is. I know that hockey outcomes should, if not follow exactly a Poisson distribution, follow something that reasonably approximates it. And, you know, that you, you go from there. And I, I built this model in probably three or four days. And, and at that point, I, I realized that, holy shit, these things are correlated. But the value of that correlation it was like beyond my wildest imagination, <laughs> such that... You know, if you, if you in an average Saturday night where you have maybe eight, nine NHL games, you probably have double-digit positive uh, advantages on you know seven out of the nine, and some of them, if you had like <laughs> Pittsburgh and Crosby against uh, Washington and Ovechkin, yeah, those players yeah. scored such a a big proportion of each team's goals, you could actually have you know a five percent edge on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> and this was wild. Um, so so. Uh, you know, long story. Yeah, it, just, short, it feels like you're right. setting up a magic trick. Like, <laughs> no, this is, this is this yeah, my life. Thirty-nine percent hold. It's uh, this unclimbable mountain. Yeah, How impossible. am I going to make the Statue yeah. of Liberty disappear? Oh, of course. And then, yeah. Oh, and, and then it just makes sense. Like shit. Yeah, you could both. If if 
you know, if the parlays are enough, you could bet both sides if they're letting you correlate. Yeah, now now they they took this particular uh, this particular hockey prop they took away maybe three or four years ago. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you about it today. Um, <laughs> there 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 are there are other things though that I will not get into on this pod. Um, but you know this this is this is the origin story of plus EV analytics. So positive expected value is kind of the is, is kind of the mantra that I live by. And, and name of the game, name of the game. You know. It's a, Sports analytics and, and gambling analytics really is, is is kind of what what I'm all about. So this this hockey model, um, the, the reason I had a lot of success with this is I wasn't trying to originate any of these lines. Where you know, I, I I have a, a a really fantastic source of information, and that's the market that tells me, hey, you know, the Pittsburgh team total implies they're going to score an average of 3.4 goals in this game. Well, I don't have to figure out how many they're going to score. I know. Yeah. You've got a plus on distribution with a mean of 3.4, and off you go. And yeah. I can look at, you know, the, the over the last two years, Crosby scored 10% and assisted on 20% of Pittsburgh's goals. And, and that's really all you need. And, and, and that's kind of been my, my MO in building these models, is I'm not trying to build these things up from scratch. I'm trying to take something that already exists that's a really liquid market-derived number and start deriving things from that, mostly in the in the props and correlated props space, that uh, you know take take something that exists and trans transforming it rather than than building my own from scratch. Ah, oh, so good, man! It's so good, and, and you know, it's it, it, I agree one hundred percent that the overriding sentiment just among kind of the community at large is these pro line cards where suckers bet it or like a scratcher ticket. Like you're like, go, you know, you know, you want to have some fun, go, go do it, but don't expect to win long-term. It's, it's just like an added tax. Right. And, uh, and, but yeah, we, and we were talking to, uh, this reminds me a lot of the story of talking to uh, spoon. Like he was telling us about when he first went to Vegas and he would go, <laughs> go out to the outline casinos that had parlay cards and he would find, you know, correlated, they would let him bet, uh, you know, correlated parlays on uh, college football with the enormous uh, spreads that existed at the beginning of the season where you could go, you know, Clemson minus 40 parlayed with the uh, um, parlayed with the, the under over, and then, yeah. yeah, parlayed with the under and then turn around oh, and, yeah. and, hit, and hit the dog in the over. And so basically if the dog scores one touchdown, you win one parlay. If they score zero, you you win, you win the other. And it was it was a fascinating story. Uh, that that existed and it kind of blew my mind and it kind of just makes you realize that okay it's not about chance it's not about flipping coins this is there are specific scenarios where you can do the math and you can find plus ev opportunities and if you hit those long enough like you're going to overcome the variance you're going to make money in the long term uh and it's uh it's great to hear that like you know, you kind of had that light bulb go off moment, and uh, and now here you're, oh. you know, you, you and that was 2007. Yeah. So you're 12 years later. <laughs> here, here we are. Yeah, honestly, yeah, honestly more it. more than anything else. Yeah, it, more than anything else, it just pisses me off that we we got into this too late. Too late. <laughs> yeah, like, we the we, yeah. Why were why were we talking <laughs> yes. to people talking to advantage players 15 years ago when? Oh my well, god, I, yeah, I feel so the same way because there, so so this. Yeah. Uh, I got into this seriously, like I said, probably in the mid to late 2000s. But if I had been born maybe 10 to 15 years earlier, there were people who were doing this 
like I'd be old, but I'd be rich. I'd be in a beach somewhere. I wouldn't be talking to you guys <laughs> because yeah, right. you know the, the, You'd be on an island, yeah, for sure. The, the advantages that I found were, were you know were there, and they were big, and they were relatively hard to find. But there there were advantages when this thing first came out. You know, I was ten, eleven years old at the time, so I didn't know anything. But you know, there were there were people who were really, really taking advantage of some really um, poorly managed games and some really poorly set odds. By the time I came along, they had cleaned it up quite a bit. Um, and, and you know, to this day, they've cleaned it up even more. Like I said, those hockey props are now, uh, are now gone. There's still some other stuff out there, but, but, uh, you know, this is, this is the nature of, of edges that you, you, when you're winning, somebody else is losing and people only lose for, for, for so long until they wise up to, some some flaw in the design of their game or some flaw in the odds they're offering and they they close that up and then you got to find something else and the 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 chase is is never ending but for for sure they can't track your play like that actually distinguishes and kind oh, of yeah, makes that was it something we, we discussed right like, like yeah like do they, they do they like, do like anything like has... that when you're doing gas station stuff like they, they can't they, they it's all in cash um, it's all in cash, so, right? So, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, all, it's all cash. They, they have taken some countermeasures. So, so they put in a limit right around um, when I was getting started. Because I think there used to be unlimited. You could, you could walk into a gas station with 10000 bucks and put it all down <laughs> if you wanted to. Um, but now it's a limit of $100 <laughs> per, per person, per store, per day. And they have started enforcing this very aggressively because they wow. know there are advantage players out there. I am by no means the only one. I've heard of stories of big, like guys who play way bigger than I do, having their, the, um, their con- the convenience stores they play at staked out by like s- spies from the lottery corporation to wow. see if they can catch someone violating <laughs> that, that, uh, that hundred dollar a day maximum. So these, these guys are serious. Of course. Um, but the edges are, are, are fantastic because, you know, you get people, who, who play either in Vegas or online and they're just grinding out trying to get a you know, 2%, 3% edge is just a fantastic thing for them. You know, for, 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 for me with what I do, I, I see a two, 3% edge and I'm like, all right, well maybe I'll play it. If I, if I can be bothered, if I, <laughs> if I have the, if I have the, the wherewithal to get off my ass and, and play it, maybe I'll play it. I'm spoiled. Like I, I admit it. And this is, this is actually where the Kelly uh, criterion comes in and, and it was the, the, the sort of inspiration for the, the article I wrote on pinnacle because when you've got like eight hockey games going on um, and that there's seven of them have an edge and you have to parlay at least two of them together because they're, they're two legs to, to form your correlated combination. You have to have at least three legs in your, in your parlay. And so, you know, how many combinations are there? And you might have some open parlays from yesterday's game that, that carry over to tonight and you have some, some exposure from there and you might be able to hedge some of this stuff, you know, offshore Sure. And, and it's it's really a a mathematical question that is beyond what the the well known simplified form of the Kelly criterion could handle. So that got me into researching. Okay, well, is is there a better way to 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 figure out bet sizing? Because bet sizing becomes a huge issue when you have uh, a a small and growing bankroll like I had back at the time, and you you getting like six or seven 20% edges that are available to you on any given day. And you're really, you know, this is where the Kelly criterion becomes serious. It's no longer just a toy you play with. Yeah. This, this, is, this yeah. is real bankroll management decisions that, that uh, if you don't do it properly, you can, you can either get yourself in a lot of trouble or, or you can grow 
your bankroll in a, in a suboptimal fashion. Yeah, and this this isn't this isn't. I believe I have an edge. This is I know I have an edge. Like this is exactly. And that's a huge distinction. Yeah, it, it is yeah and you touched on the offshore stuff. Like that was going to be my next question: Is there opportunities to, you know, like place parlays like this at your pro line stuff, and then arb your way out of it offshore? If you, uh, no, you know, not exactly. You with it? I mean, is that just? It seems like it'd be tricky if you have to have three legs. But it, it, I don't know. I just it, kept my mind. It's absolutely racing. tricky. But what what you can there are things you can do. So you yeah, you can't just hedge out the whole thing. It's impossible. What you can do is if, oh, yeah. if you've won the first two legs of your parlay and you have one left, um, if the one you have left is one of those those hockey combinations, of course you can't you can't hedge it out as it is. But if I've got let's say Pittsburgh and Crosby that I have at a forty percent win probability, and Washington on their own has a forty five percent win probability. I can at least get to a point where I'm 85%, you know, to, to win something. So it's like a partial hedge, which is way, way worse than a full hedge. But in some situations, it, it can actually be better than nothing. And, you know, to answer the question of how much should you make, how much should you hedge in that partial hedge situation is another one of those questions that, that really can't be answered without the, that the in-depth version of the Kelly criterion that I, uh, I didn't develop it, obviously, but I, I, I uh, described it in, in that Pinnacle article. I like it, man. Um, so let me ask you a theoretical <laughs> question here. So and, and basically, like, uh, they, they haven't instituted and they probably hopefully won't, hopefully never. I'll knock on wood for you here that they institute, like, where they actually track out who they're paying out and, and how they're, you know, and, and start keeping track and, and start identifying. Because otherwise, like, they're never going to know and be able to close a hole unless you know they start to see patterns and it's impossible for them to do that unless somebody narks i guess um but like but is is it um they don't they don't track who gets paid on this right like or, or do they 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 don't unless your your winning ticket is over i think it's 999 dollars. so this is a little bit of a trick that that advantage players use is you know if you've got a if you want to put down 500 bucks on a parlay that pays, let's say 30 to one, you don't yeah. put it down. So the maximum you can put is a hundred dollars on a card, but you don't put it down a hundred at a time. You put it down, you know, 50 at a time or 25 at a time or some, uh, some level yes, that yes. keeps the, the winnings below a hundred dollars. That way you just, can cash it at the gas under. station rather yeah. than having to go down to the lottery office, give them your ID, give them your name. Um, but I mean, there are people and the, the lottery corporation actually publishes lists of, of, of names of people who make the, the big wins. And you see a lot of the same people on the list over and over again. Um, they aren't people I know personally, but they must be doing something similar to, to what I'm describing here. And, and so I mean, the lottery corporation must know that people like me are out there because they've taken some countermeasures um, to, to, to sort of uh, mitigate their risk. And, and the only explanations I can think of why they're still allowing some of this stuff is they're either grossly incompetent, which is not out of the realm of possibility. We are dealing with, you know, government workers here and not necessarily professional sure. um, sports betting operators. Yeah. Um, or they've done the math and they realize that they, they are winning more on their 39% VIG from Joe Public putting, you know, 20 bucks down on the Leafs. Sure. Um, then, then, they're, then they're losing to people like me. And the, the evidence in support of that second um, idea is, is when, when you look at um, edges or advantage plays that tend to show up on some of these, these games, they tend to be um, on 
unders about five, six, seven times as often as on, on overs. Wow. And they also tend to be, when you have a, a local team playing, so the Leafs are playing Montreal, if there's value there, it will be on Montreal like 10 times as often as it will be on the Leafs. So there's, they are definitely shading the odds because they're getting square action on, on home teams, on local teams, and, and on overs. So Jeez. That, that sounds like a, like a bomber flying over your uh, your place. I hope, I hope yeah. you're okay. Yeah, no, there, there, there's, 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 sorry, I'll, I'll just pull the trigger. No, I'll fill, I'll fill in the blanks. There's this clown who is flying his freaking wreck plane way too damn low over my courtyard where I sit and podcast, yeah, like and it drives me damn crazy. He's been doing this now. You have a for courtyard like in your house? Uh, a courtyard right outside my office. Yes, beautiful red barrel courtyard by Mary. Yeah. Yes. Oh no, no, no. Court, you know, courtyard like back, like a jet like an atrium. Yeah, yes. Yeah. by Marriott? Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, not courtyard. I mean back to what Matt was saying that I mean that's where my yeah, that's where my head went with that just thinking about that 39% theoretical hold like there would have to be uh, there and there is a tipping point. There has to be a tipping point just math wise as far as your profit and loss sheets look. I mean, there can't be quite enough people that are taking the time to be advantage players where they're going to have to give too much of a shit yet because every schmuck that goes in and just fills one of these out with, you know, just throwing darts at their favorite hockey teams and favorite hockey players with a hold that big, like it's going to take a lot of plus EV analytics guys to really make such a big dent where, where the countermeasures are going to be, you know, feasible financially or make sense for them to even waste their time. And I mean, it sounds like and the fact that they've done a little bit makes it sound like enough people are doing it. And that's interesting enough in its own right. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And in fact, you know what, if you're bad at betting and you're in Canada, Hit some bro line cards. Help Matt out here. Yeah, yeah go go for it. Keep profit streams going. Toronto can use an over. You can't go wrong. Five this season. <laughs> They're always good. Always because good. The, the, the 39 hold isn't enough for them. Start, yeah. they, they have to get extra greedy. Their 39 hold isn't enough for them. They have to now start shading the overs and the, and the local teams <laughs> to just squeeze a little bit more. So part of me doesn't really uh, doesn't doesn't feel that terrible that I'm kind of taking money from these governments or spending it on schools and hospitals that I, I'm. Uh, so there's a little bit of a, of a of a Robin Hood steal from the rich and give to the poor. Um, that's, yes. I'm, I'm the poor in that scenario. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I dig it. I well, dig wait, it. Well, kind of off topic, quick, but like, do you need do you need an ID? Do you have to be Canadian to do one of these? You don't. Like, can you, I you, can you, I drive you, up there? I kind of want to want to do one. Now. <laughs> you, you absolutely can. Like, you can, like you can walk into Blue Bombers, Rough Riders, DC Lions, <laughs> Red Blacks. Yeah, you can. Yeah. These, these things are all done in cash. There, there, there's, there's some talk about moving some of the stuff online, but you know, any big government project is going to take years to do. There, there are some other jurisdictions, some other provinces that have started to move their uh, their operation online. But here in Ontario, you, you're, you're walking into a gas station, you're laying a twenty dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill on the on the counter, and you're giving them their uh, you're giving them your parlay card, and they print a ticket, and off you go, and, they, and that's that's the end of it. There's no it's a completely anonymous cash transaction. Okay. Well, let, let me lay out. Let me finish this hypothetical then. Uh, and this is not the perfect. This is not the perfect correlation or segue to what I wanted to try to go to next. Uh, but uh, let's say that you have a night where you have eight advantage plays, and you can you can you put eight together, or does it have to be only three? So it's it's three to six. But when you three do these these, cor- these correlated parlays, actually count as two because you have in the, in the example I've been giving you the, the okay. hockey team and the, and the prop counts as two so it would really be 
you'd have two or three of those on a card at any given time. Okay. So let's say, so let's say you have six on one given night and you're like, you know what? Like, these are really good. Like this, I, like, this is crazy good. I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go ham on this. Uh, I'm going to go put like a, you know, a hundred down and, and, uh, but, but it turns out you don't have a ton of time because you got something else to do and you go to a gas station. That's a standalone chain that, and they have, you know, in fine print that you can only see if you ask to see it that says we actually cap our payments at this gas station at 500 to one. And you put your play in and, you know, you would expect to, or actually I, I, I said 500 to one. Well, let's, let's say they cap their, their payouts at 20 to one at this gas station. And, uh, and you play there, but you don't read the fine print. And then you, <laughs> and then you come back to cash your ticket after all six miraculously hit. <laughs> Uh, and they say, oh, actually, see, it turns out we only have to pay you up to 20 to 1 because that's our rules in-house. Um, where could that, where could this ever be coming from? Does <laughs> that, that sound like fair chance? Does that sound like uh, fair play? It doesn't sound like fair play. No, it, absolutely <laughs> not. You know, you if you take a bet, you should be prepared to pay the bet. But, uh, you know, I, I assume where, where you're going is the, the William Hill Kentucky Derby uh, fiasco. Yeah, and, uh, I, wanted to segue, I wanted to segue to this uh, and get your thoughts on this because you had a pretty you had a pretty strong take. I strongly supported this take, uh, and the the response from the community was all freaking over the place. There were tons of people that were like, "Tough shit, man!" I was like, "Are you serious? Like, you people really feel like this?" Like, I almost felt like they were Will Hill operatives, like in our mentions, like trying to like sway public opinion or something because it was so outrageous that people were like, "Hey, man." The rules are the rules. Them's the rules. Like, can you can you give a little bit of background as to what happened in this in this situation and, and your thoughts on it? Yeah, you, you never know where those Russian bot farms are, are, are operating. <laughs> yes. So you, you can't put it outside the realm of possibility. You um, can't. Yeah. yeah. So 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 the example you gave me uh, is a, is a little bit of an oversimplification of 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 what actually happened. So horse racing is is a is a type of betting, at least in North America, that operates. Uh, kind of uniquely in something called the paramutual system. And, and so the way that works is instead of making your bet and knowing what the odds are at the time you make your bet, all the bets go into a pool, uh, kind of like poker, where, where you have a house, uh, in this case, the track, they take a fixed percentage of the pot and, and whatever's left over gets distributed to the winners. So I mean, there, there are lots of pros and cons uh, to that from a better's point of view. The biggest con is you never know what the odds are that you're going to get until the race is over. So you could make a bet that you think is value at eight to one. By the time the race starts, so many other people have jumped on it. It's now five to one and you're, you're, you're SOL. That bet's already in. Nothing you can do. Um, but, but back to the William Hill um, scenario. The way I understand it, that you have these casinos in Vegas that either are or are not members of this paramutual pool. And if you bet, if you bet at a casino in Vegas that is a part of this pool, your bet gets settled the same, same way as it would if you were in, uh, in Kentucky at the track where your bet would get pooled with everyone else's. And if you had a winning ticket, you would get a share of, of the prize pool. And sure. there's no liability from the track because they're just paying out what, what they take in less they're cut. So it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a better than a zero sum game for them. They have no liability at all. Um, but what I understand happened is, is um, some of these books either, either didn't qualify or they didn't want to pay to, to, to be part of this paramutual pool, but it being the Kentucky Derby and there being a lot of action, 
they wanted to get their their piece of the action. So they kind of wanted to have it both ways. So what they said was, hey, you can you can come to my I forget what the name of the casino was. You can come to my casino. You can bet on on the derby, but you are betting outside of the parimutuel pool. We're just gonna we're gonna pay you out at the same odds as if you were in the pool, but you're not in the pool. Um, which creates a real liability for the casino offering the bet because now they're paying, they're not paying you out of everyone else's bets like they would if you were in the parimutuel pool. They're paying you out of their own money. Sure. Uh, and, and, and so this is why they obviously just can't, can't let you bet an unlimited amount at, at odds that, that they don't even know what they're going to have to pay out at. So I, I, I get them having to do something to limit their liability. And what they actually did was, uh, they said, okay, well, we're not going to pay more than whatever it is, 20 to 1 on an exacta or 100 to 1 on a trifecta. I forget what the numbers were, but they, they actually capped their payout. And, and this, from from a, a consumer protection kind of public interest point of view, is a really, really shady thing to do. And a couple of reasons. The most obvious reason is, well, if you're just, you're, you're stopping by to make a bet and, and you say, well, horse racing is horse racing. These are the odds that everyone else in the world is getting. Of course, I'm getting these odds, and you don't even think to read the fine print that says you're not. And this must be what happened in the case of this guy, because from what I read, he had no idea that, that his bets were subject to the cap. Uh, otherwise, he probably wouldn't have made them. Sure, um, sure. Not but in there, addition to that, uh, the, the, the way these parimutuel pools work is that the, the VIG or the, the rake that these, these tracks take is huge. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. Um, you know, compared to your average three, four percent big on a, on a on a regular sports bet, and the reason it's so high is that horse racing is a very, very expensive sport to operate. The tracks take up a lot of space. You know, horses eat food. They they need uh, space to live. Like this is a when when you look at horse racing as just a means of generating a gambling outcome, it's one of the most expensive ways to do that 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 there is. So it's no surprise that they have to take a pretty large chunk out of the prize pool to, to sort of support the, the horse racing industry. Now, if you're at this William Hill Casino and you're saying, you're saying hey, I'm going to opt out of the parimutuel pool, but I'm going to pay the <laughs> yeah. same prices, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of free riding on that, on that, on that VIG because you know, you're, you're collecting that same 20% VIG, but you don't have to pay for any horse food or, or uh, maintenance of a horse track or anything. So you, you kind of sure. get this free rider situation <laughs> where you're getting the benefit, but not the cost. And now on top of that to say, well, we're not even going to pay you the full odds. Um, if, if they're especially the, good. Yeah. If they're especially good at the 20% because of the, even the, the full track odds would have been like 0.8 times what the real odds should have been because that, that, that rake is there. So not only are they going to rake you 20%, but they're going to cap your payouts after that. So their effective uh, take on these things is going to be yes. north of 20%. So it, it's yeah. really um, dishonest. And, and, you know, the people who say, well, you know, buyer beware, tough shit, too bad. You know, the, the, the tune would change if they were ever in a situation where, where they were being taken advantage of. And it's one of those situations where you, you have a seller of something that is much more sophisticated uh, than the buyer of the thing. And I personally believe that that creates at least some kind of a duty to to um, have some kind of consumer protection going on. Otherwise, you can have this. And I don't know whether William Hill was, was intentionally doing this to try and screw people. I wouldn't put it past them from some of the stuff I read about them or, or if they just hey, didn't, didn't realize that what this meant. But it's unfortunate that it had to happen to this poor guy 
who, who, uh, who really, you know, made a bet that he really should have had no expectation of, of, of collecting his full odds are because, oh yeah, you don't know what the exact is going to pay until the race is over, but you can probably guess. Oh yeah. Paid, they could, they paid could whatever it was, him, oh, 80 yeah, to one. Yeah. They could say, well, there's, no, there's no way. For sure. They could have given him a live, a live uh, split, you know, like, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're making this bet. The live payout would be, you know, 20,000 to one, but we're only giving you 500 to one. Like, th- exactly. like there's a, th- you know, there, there, there would have been a very straightforward way to kind of communicate to him. Hey, you've gone over the threshold that we're willing to pay on this. You still Uh-oh. sure you want to do this? Like, that's not that hard. Uh, and, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. It's not hard, and even 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 more than that. My my, if I was the gaming commission or whoever was in charge of this, I would say, look, you're either in the paramutual pool or you're out, um, both yeah, for that right. consumer protection to to avoid having to 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 put this capping in, and also be, because you know you're you're when you when you're paying out track odds without being part of this pool, you're really pocketing that twenty percent vig that that should be going to pay for all the expenses because horse racing. You know, 362 days a year is very expensive to, to run. And yeah. you know, why is yeah. it fair that when I bet 100 bucks at Churchill Downs, 20 of it goes to the horse racing people? And when I bet 100 bucks at, at William Hill's Casino, zero goes to them. Well, how, how, how is that fair? Yeah, sure. And, and here's, here's the easy solution. If you don't want to, um, if you don't want to go to the trouble of making people aware of the fact that they may not get as good an odds as, as what they're expecting, you don't want to go to that trouble. And guess what? Make fixed odds, make your own odds. You take on the, the, the responsibility of, you know, coming up with the odds. Hey, even advertise that, Hey, you know what? If you go to the track, you're going to pay 20% VIG. We got 10% VIG horse racing here with our fixed odds. Like you, you can completely sidestep the issues that are one-sided in terms of who gets hurt in this situation. I guess one-sided uh, in that who gets hurt in this situation are the, is the horse racing tracks writ large and the consumers who unknowingly place bets like those are the only t- two players that get hurt here like will hill wins you know in in multiple ways and it's it's very frustrating that this played out this way and i haven't seen it well, get resolved yeah and the, the outrage yeah the outrage was was vivid and heavy and all over twitter for a few days sure. and it's just like everything else like i don't want to compare it to like real fucked up stuff that happens in the world but like you compare it to like honestly like anything bad that happens in the news nowadays there's always something new bad that happens like three days later like in especially in america like the school shootings people that just rolls off people's backs now because it happens so often it's not like this big shock and there's always some new news story that like this will hill thing is it's old news it's a couple weeks old like people aren't gonna remember that people aren't gonna say oh, i'm not betting there anymore with horses like it just it it got plenty of pub, but it just doesn't get enough pub and people aren't going to remember. Like it's not going to deter most people from continuing to, you know, bet paramutual betting into places that are going to pull shyster moves like this. And I think that's, that's the shitty part of this whole thing. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you again. Let me ask you though. Cause like, I feel like this, like I have more sympathy for this guy who got screwed out of his life changing money. With the bet I have a lot was, of sympathy for him. I, I, like, well, I, I have terrible. more sympathy. I have more sympathy for this guy than I do the guys that saw a line maker error in the Raiders Broncos game at the end of the game, live in play, line error, bet it, and got paid. Right, and like that was 
you know, that ended up being a, you know, it started out being a PR nightmare for the sports book and they basically kind of conceded like, okay, Hey, like we don't want to deal with the regulatory pressure we're getting. We don't want to deal with the negative PR that's coming. Like this is a burgeoning industry and we don't want to, to put our first foot out there in a way that kind of, you know, taints our reputation and, you know, starts to build our, you know, our, uh, our, um, you know, people associate our brand with, you know, a not fair play. Like they, they ended up paying that guy, even though that was like clear and obvious F up that you see all the time and gets voided at offshore all the time. And so maybe I'm just, I'm just a nerd to that, I guess. But like, it it felt like this guy had a better, you know, he had a better argument. I feel bad more. I feel like this should have been resolved in the same sort of way. I, I definitely agree that that the Kentucky Derby guy's bet was more of a good faith transaction than the guy who was trying to angle shoot the the, the bad lines. Sure. Yes, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. So, oh well. Um, I and I, you know, I think Andy, your your point is fine in that. Yeah, the the news moves on, and the news cycle is so damn fast now. But I, you know, that and maybe we are especially close to you know, this industry and what's going on because we care about it and other people are much more on the fringe, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Will Hill is building a reputation for doing crappy stuff that does not present fair, fair chance, fair play. Uh, overall, if you play there, like this is, they're going to have to live with this. Like people are, you know, you're eventually going to have conferences in the U S where they're talking about, you know, the sports betting industry and there'll be, you know, representatives from every book up there and, you know, people will be interested. And and of those representatives, the Will Hill representative will have to kind of own the fact that, yes, we do, you know, very We've suspect seen that things. a few times. She gets roasted. Yeah, right. Like, it's, they, they probably like remember that. that. It's, it's only going to get more severe, though, because you have all these other you have all these other entities now that are on in good faith, you know, doing doing damn uh, they're hustling hard to get uh, user acquisition. They're trying to build relationships with new betters and, you know, and, and build a, a, a reputation of, hey, come play with us here. We're going to take care of you. You're going to have opportunities. We're not, you know, like, like there's a lot oh, of people who are doing it the right way, uh, I feel like. And, you know, granted, I know virtually and that, nothing That's about. the biggest thing about this market expanding the competition like that's uh, that's why there's antitrust laws and you know the a monopoly you know a system uh, against monopolies like once you get some competition in the in the market you're gonna have less shitheads like it's just gonna be uh, how how economics work as far as unfortunately this is a shitty operator (laughs) yeah probably a good thing for william hill because if you're a book yeah the, the best thing you can have is for the, the the sharp guys to hate you and distrust you, and the square guys to not even care. I mean, <laughs> no, the, that's this a is, great, I'm that's sure a they great aren't crying in there. The fish, in their the fish are going to swim to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is where the gaming the commission or, or some regulator yeah, right. has to yes. step in. Yeah, the regulators did fail this this big yeah. time. They did. Oh, they and, did. And the, the, yeah, the New Jersey, without New getting Jersey too deep into that, have done a decent job of putting pressure on people. There's going to be growing pains. Yeah. I mean, just without getting too deep into that whole conversation like as this industry grows throughout the throughout the nation we add more states there's going to be so many just horseshit stories like this where they just didn't 
plan ahead. Like, what do we do in this situation? Should we regulate them? Should we let them make the decision? What's the plan? Should we do something behind the scenes and pretend like they made the right decision, which is kind of what I think happened in New Jersey with that guy where they just, they put some pressure on him. And honestly, yeah. like, like you said, like that guy knew he was betting and, and, and perhaps he didn't, but there was other people. Like there were people that knew, like, oh, this is a bad number. Like this is oh, wrong. Yes. I'm just gonna Without hit this. See if and you know, and, and if they were people who were savvy and have used offshores before, they're probably just like, well, I'm gonna hit this. I'll see if they honor it, and if they don't, fuck it. They'll give me my money back. <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas you know, the the guy with the horse racing, I mean, he wasn't like trying. He didn't have some some bad line. Uh, I mean, it just it pays what it pays. It's based on the on the, the pools of money, how paramutual works. Like he, he didn't try to take advantage of it, but and that's what sucks for him. Like he yeah, got extremely lucky and yeah. it was a sucks. good faith bet. It, you, plus EV, you know, Matt, Matt said it exactly right. It was, it was a good faith bet and it was a bad faith outcome uh, on the part of Wilhelm. Then I think that's, that's, uh, you know, something that, you know, you're going to see and hear more of. There'll be more examples of this, I'm sure. Uh, and I won't be surprised if the, if the operator involved is Wilhelm again. So um, with all that said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll qualify Will Hill and some others as effectively as retail, uh, retail books, retail operators. That that's fair. Uh, and you know, we've we're going to have Ed Ed, uh, Ed Miller who recently wrote the Logic of Sports Betting book that has been um, you know wi- you know widely talked about among the gambling Twitter. We got a chance to read it over the last couple of weeks. It was very good. We're going to have him on relatively soon to kind of dive into some of the more interesting topics in his book. Um, but one of the things that very clearly comes through. You got a chance to read it too? I, I did, uh, yeah. and, and it was fantastic. Yeah, I completely agreed. And you know, he he very clearly frames the industry in retail books versus market makers, and that was like the perfect launching point for a lot of the other kind of very very um, valuable points of information that they they uh, got to in that book. Um, and you know, it's it's pretty uh, straightforward um, that. If you know, if you if you have a specific sport that you're interested in using the in you know using the wisdom of the market, using the 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 market, um, uh, you know the the valuable nature of the market information to make your model sharper uh, for the purposes of hammering out correlated parlays in the lottery or whatever you're doing. Right. Um, you know, what what what's uh, what are some of the, uh, the the key lessons and approaches you've learned over the years in terms of the market making books and and how to evaluate the information you're getting and, and whether it's sharp and, and how to incorporate it? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it's because of my kind of unique situation up here, I, I've never really put a lot of energy into trying to beat, you know, uh, either market making books or, or, or any other books just because the cost benefit wasn't there. I had so many, I hate to say this, but I had so many easy edges up here with, with what I'm doing. Um, I, I didn't even really, really go there. Um, I, I'm definitely a believer in market efficiency and I actually use that market efficiency to, to my advantage in a lot of what I do because I'm, I'm taking those lines that have been set and sharpened and blah, blah, blah. And I'm using the information that's contained in those lines to, to, to build my models. So market efficiency is real, especially in these larger markets. Um, what I ask myself sometimes is, is, you know, the markets don't make themselves efficient. There are people who are betting in these markets and pushing them to efficiency and they're making a lot of money at it. And, you know, if they can do it, why can't I? And it's uh, something I wrestle with sometimes is, is <laughs> am, am I giving markets too much respect? Am I giving them not enough respect? 
um, you know, may, maybe someday when, when, uh, when, when I'm doing dries up, I might have to face that question and, and try to beat a real market uh, instead of the, <laughs> the, uh, the kind of fake ones that I'm, I'm knocking down right now. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the whole um, concept of price origination, which, again, we'll save a lot of these topics for when we talk to Ed. But, uh, you know, the, the concept and, and kind of, um, you know, what, you know, what makes a, a, a market efficient? Um, you know, how would you stack up, um, you know, liquidity? Uh, is that first and foremost? Is that the most important thing? Uh, are there aspects to team totals that you feel like are, you know, the, the numbers even once, you know, we've gotten the price origination settled and, you know, this is the, the, this is the fair price for this team? Like, are those softer than, you know, some of the other parts of the market just because maybe you have lower, uh, you know, lower uh, limits or they're open later, uh, you know, like, like what are, what are some of the important things that go into kind of evaluating what you have when you have the information from a market making book where you have, uh, you know, you want to now input it into a model. Yeah. So what, what I look for are liquidity, obviously, um, high limits and low vague. So I, I, I want to look for lines where if the lines are off, it would have been worth somebody's while to push them back into line by the time I get to them. Um, so okay. that, that's, I mean, Pinnacle is my, my go-to book for pretty much everything. You know, the, the, only, the only way I will ever use a different book other than Pinnacle as a source of information for my lines is if I'm looking at a weird prop that Pinnacle doesn't, doesn't post, and then I'll go to some other stuff. But, you know, it seems to me as kind of a, an observer of the offshore market that, that, that Pinnacle seems to be the gold standard for, uh, for a market maker book. Got it. And then um, do you feel like over the course of a season in the NHL, for instance, that um, certain times of the season, the market is um, more or less efficient out of curiosity? Um, not really. And there's no real good way to know that. And it's, it's, it's funny you mention that because the, the one thing I've just started to dabble in just in the last uh, couple of months of the hockey season was this idea of, of, of first period lines. And I'd seen some, some cappers and some bloggers kind of posting about their first period models and, and ways they were looking at it. And um, it, it struck me as an, an interesting thing to, to sort of get into just as a, as a fun little side project to say, okay, our, our, our first period totals predictable in a way that can, can beat the pinnacle lines. And uh, my, my sample size is too little, too small to be really conclusive. I think I've made 20 or 30 bets and kind of pretty much broken even over that period of time. I think I'm going to get back to it again uh, when the season starts back up in, in October. But what I would, what I do is I look at the relationship between the first period total and the full game total. And I say, okay, you know, can you have something like, uh, you know, the Blackhawks are, are, are a high-scoring first-period team or the Bruins are a low-scoring first-period team? Are, are these things signal or are these things noise? Oh, yeah. And th this is really an area of, of, uh, of study of mine. Both, it's funny, both in my professional life, um, doing pricing for insurance, um, which is what I do for a living, and, and and in this, they're they're very similar um, 
iterations of, of, of the same question, which is, you know, you, you have an assessment of something and you get some new information and how much do you change that assessment? So in the context of a first period model, you say, okay, well, on average team score, whatever it is, 31% of their goals in the first period, but Boston's played 50 games this year and they've scored 40% of their goals in the first period. Is that a fluke or, or, or is that something that's real or is the answer somewhere in between? And I'm, I'm a big uh, student of something called Bayes' theorem and Bayesian inference. I don't know if you guys have, have heard of it, but it's the, it's the whole branch of, of science and math that is meant to answer questions like that, of, of you know, how much of, of what the universe is telling you is real and how much of it is just plain dumb randomness. <laughs> and it's, a, it's yeah. the same thing if, if, you, if yeah. you have car insurance and you're paying $1,000 a year for car insurance and then you have an accident, well, how much should you pay next year? Should it be a thousand dollars? Should it be more? You know, it, it's you know, we have new information as the insurance company that, that maybe you're a little worse risk than we thought you were a year ago. You know, how much? How much worse? How much does this new information change your assessment of 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 what's going on? And this this brings us into tennis because this is yeah. a, this is a, a a real area that I haven't gotten into, but I think would be a really cool application of of this idea of Bayesian inference is, is in play tennis betting. Because tennis is a is a I mean it's a complex game, but it's a simple it's a simple analytical game because all you really need are two pieces of information: uh, the the uh, win probability of a point when you're serving and the win probability of a point when you're returning. And if you have those two things, it, it's relatively simple to to translate that into the probability of winning the match, both before the match starts and at, at any given point in the match. So you, you, if you can figure out those two things, you can um, you know you can pretty much know all the probabilities about a about a tennis match. So say you have Nadal against Federer, and say that that um, you, you've estimated before the match started that Nadal might win 70% of his service points and 35% of his return points. Well, those would be what's called your priors in in the in the Bayesian inference world, and you can estimate those from historical data you can even reverse engineer them from from the from the uh, market line right yeah from the market yeah which is, for yeah. Sure. which is a lot of what i do so so say you have nadal <laughs> at 70 percent to win each service point but say he wins 19 out of the first 20 points when he serves well yeah. what do you put his win probability at on on the on the 21st point well oh, man there's a bunch of different ways to to, to do that you can say well I thought it was 70% before the match. I'm not wavering off that at 70%, and you wouldn't necessarily be wrong. You can say, well, he's won 95% of his points. But, I'm going to you have 95%. to wait. Yeah, you have to wait what the price, you know, yeah, what, what he's done in the match, you have to put some weighting to that, but you can't overweight it. That, and that's the, the, the real, that's the million-dollar question in, in Bayesian inference is how much weight do you give to your prior and how much weight do you give to, to your observation? And this is, you get into a real cool kind of meta-probability kind of philosophical place here because now you're talking about the probability of probability. So on this 21st point, what's the probability that his win probability is 70%, meaning what's the probability <laughs> yeah. that your prior shouldn't be, shouldn't be deviated from? There's maybe a it's fifty-fifty. Sure, yeah. You, you build a whole a, distribution a, of what the probability good. is. That's so your good. outcome is now kind of two steps removed because you have your outcome, you have the probability of the outcome, and you have the probability of the probability. And, yeah. and to, to to bring this back into the the real world, well, the the question really is, can a player have a a good day or a bad day? Are those just illusions that are caused by random variants? You know, are are, are there 
are there factors that might have influenced both those first 20 points that you've observed and the 21st point that you haven't yet observed that aren't necessarily contemplated in the priors? Is there something different about today um, compared to, let's say, an average day for Raphael Nadal? And, and you, can, you can easily think of reasons or, or logical explanations of why it might be. You know, maybe he ate something for breakfast or maybe he did or didn't get enough sleep last night or he had a fight with his significant other or he's got a sunburn or he's in gastrointestinal distress. You know, these are, these are all yeah. things yeah. that you wouldn't be able to, to um, evaluate prior to the match, but the, the part of the match that you've observed might give you some indication that, okay, well, yeah, 70% was the right number before the match started, but now I have new information. And, and how much should I move off of my initial assessment, off of my prior based on my, my, my new information. And this is, uh, this is, there's so much cool math and cool science to this. Sure. I, I apologize if I'm getting too deep. No, but, no, no, no. Uh, this you know, this is, this, this is cool this stuff. Is, no, yeah, I mean, we knew, we brought an actuary onto the podcast. We knew what we were getting into. <laughs> yeah, you know what you're getting into, absolutely. <laughs> oh. And yeah, like, the conversations so we've had over the past, like, and yeah, we, 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 I don't know, did we say this, like, we did say this off air, like, as far as, where we've come in the last two years, like a couple of years ago, we could have told you what CLV stood for, but maybe not all that much about it. And now, you know, now that's such a big part of, of what we do. And it, it just brought about so many interesting conversations about, you know, the predictive nature of closing lines and how much the information going to the market means and everything, you know, from one sport to another too. And it just like these conversations, they hurt my head, but like, <laughs> I think everything you it's, said. It's a good hurt. It'll, it'll make you better in the long account, run. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's, it's the stuff that you need to start thinking about if you want to continue, if you want to start beating a market, if you want to yeah. continue to beating market, if you want to continue to improve how much you beat the market by. For sure. And there, there yeah, are so many. If, if we, <laughs> that's okay. That's what I'm here for. If, if you go back to the idea of, of Bayesian inference, there are so many applications of this kind of philosophy, even outside of tennis. When you look at something like, okay, you've got the best goalie in the NHL, but he's given up four goals in the first period. Do you yank him in the second period or do you, or do you ride him? You know, well, it depends on whether those four goals were just random variants, in which case you'd want to ride him, or, or is something going on that day in case, in case you want to yank him? You know, when, when should you pull your starter as a baseball manager? You know, he's, you, you, you've got uh, Clayton Kershaw in there. Maybe I'm dating myself because uh, you know, I think he's having such a good, uh, good last year. But you've got the best pitcher in the, in, in the majors on the mound. He gives up six runs in the first inning. Do you throw him out there in the second? Do you, or do you go to your bullpen? These, these are all different flavors of the same question of, of, you know, you have an assessment of something before you observe anything. And then you observe something that may or may not support your initial assessment and you have to figure out whether the information that, that the universe is giving to you is something that's real or it's signal or something that's just random noise. And there's, there's just so much depth in, in, in that question. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's the kind of thing that you can study your whole life. And I, I, I kind of have and, and do and will. This is outstanding. And I have some thoughts that are way out there and this may bore the folks. This may confuse the folks listening and I will apologize on the front end, but I will, I will go so far to say that what you're, what you're bringing up as far as the shape of the distribution of the probability is fascinating to me. I think about this stuff all the time. 
Uh, and I, I will go as far to say that the, when it comes to tennis and it comes to players' performance, um, I can visualize it in my head from beginning to end of the match as a curve, effectively, right? And it okay. may have may have like a polynomial shape. It may just be a curve. May start. Look at you busting match, out right? the terminology. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. So, okay. So and 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 certain players have distinct curves. You can count on them. Even I would say Nadal's curve is pretty telltale. He starts lower than expectation and he ends way higher. Right. Like if his expectation is seventy three percent, you know, on serve over the course of the match, he may start at fifty and end at ninety five. Right. And then on return, it's even more gross. It's like start at, you know, start at 25 and end at like 60. Like it's crazy. Like it's crazy how much he improves over the course of any given match. Right. And I think you could look at historical point by point data for certain key matches through his career. You could just do a random sample of matches in, you know, on a given surface uh, and, you know, throughout his career. And you could develop like a portfolio of shapes uh, that he has shown from beginning to end of match and you can normalize them all to, you know, just to the baseline, right. And have it all basically how many standard deviations away from his median expectation he is at any given point in a match. Right. And if you have this portfolio of shapes, then you actually can have, you can shoot, you can sample from that portfolio uh, a number of times and actually come up with a very realistic, you know, what's the next step on this path, right? Cause you, you will, you will start to develop a shape, over the course of the first couple sets. And then sure enough, like, you know, use, use a machine learning tool to go look at your portfolio and sample, you know, the shapes that have similar, you know, kind of trajectories or similar curvatures at certain points in time and, you know, legitimately apply those and say, okay, like one of these things is going to happen. And like, if you're, you know, projecting it in that way, I think you can reasonably capture the, you know, the, um, instead of just guessing, like we're at 95, we should be at 75. Where are, where should we go from here? I think you can more logically apply um, the past results in a way that in, informs that. Does that, does that all make sense? It does. It's, it's an interesting concept. I, I think to, to add to it, where, where Bayes' theorem would come in is you might have a portfolio of 20 different trajectories for how Nadal's match might go. And, and, and you're, say you're halfway through this match, chances are it's not going to, to identically look like any of those 20 just because every match is unique and there's, there's randomness and blah, blah, blah. Sure, um, true. But what true. you can say is, uh, hey, And there's another, there's you know, another player involved. I mean, there's a completely <laughs> well, another human being involved. That's true. You can say, hey, I mean, that, you, you have your one portfolio. one of the biggest parts of this curve. Yeah. You got your portfolio of directories A through Z. I had to throw Z in there. Sorry, it's the, the Canadian <laughs> in me. And you say, hey, you know, this... <laughs> This, this kind of looks like trajectory B, but it also looks a little bit like C. So my, my posterior probability is, hey, 20% chance that we're actually on a B trajectory and 10% chance we're on a C and 5% we're on the Z. And you can actually build up a, a, a meta distribution based yes. on a weighted average yes. of, of, of what the data is pointing to, to this being. So, so yeah, that, that's totally, um, that, that's, that's the right track for an analysis like this. And it's and it's for sure more sophisticated one than what the models that are pricing these <laughs> are. I can promise you. Oh, that. I asked yeah. myself well, that. And, I'm, and I'm not especially really sure. The, especially the in the input for sure the in-play models. The in-play models, those algorithms can't be all that complicated. And that's where I, I see a lot of people who do very well on live tennis. And uh, I especially like uh, 
Kelly, the, my ball boys partner, Big Ten Watto, and it made me think of him too because I have a lot of conversations behind him, behind the scenes with him about things we want to do. He has like a stack of projects that he wants to get done for tennis. And one I talked to him about, something I was thinking about, is just the how much context goes into a tennis match where, you know, if you, if you start looking at just like last 10 matches and how they did on, you know, break hold percentages or points one or whatever, like all that stuff has some context because they did win those points. They did break those serves. They did hold serves and win matches, games, sets, whatever. But the context that you need to start throwing in is that other player. And it's tough when you start talking about these curves and you say like Nadal, his, his odds to break are this percentage based on, you know, his curve through the match. But when you start putting a second, you know, an individual he's playing against in it, the context has to be thrown in because you know was this player half injured were they tanking did they did they just give up emotionally or what what's their you know what's their curve like it gets really complicated you know because we started to talk about like i need some way to rate the context of a win or the context of a player's break cold percentage in a match what did it actually mean? And that's where it just starts getting super complicated. This, and then you, you start adding in these curves and you're, you're adding like, then it's, yeah. it's super, super complicated. I, maybe there's somebody yeah, out there I, who's, who's doing something like this I, modeling tennis. I, I, I mean, I, I, you, you could, yeah. it's, it's wild. how like, you could get, you could get really, really deep into the weeds modeling tennis because it is so it, you're only modeling one person or, you know, two people rather. It's not a team sport where you need so many moving parts going on where, I really, I'm really, my mind is like, well, you made my head hurt now too, I guess. This, this is wild. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if you could, it, if you you could you think of something like temperament. To do this. So something like temperament it could yeah. be an interesting thing to model as well because you have, you know, you have someone maybe even keeled versus you have, what's the name of that maniac who, who goes nuts? Uh, yeah, cur- curious. Curious. yeah, curious. Yeah. You know, I, I, I could curious. envision his, his, his universe of possible trajectories being quite a bit different from hugely variable yeah um, sure and you know and your, right your right, average player i, I gotta interrupt you because right there you're talking about something that i know for sure is not priced in right like some players have a wider variability on their distribution away you know over the course especially of the match in the in-play market some, especially and the, there's no way that's factored into the in-play prices no way like see that's what i don't know i i uh there, and, that, there, and that's where, where the tennis almost confidence comes in <laughs> Yeah, tennis is yeah. almost a sport you have to be watching. And some of the people yeah, that I know true. that do the best, they, like they're especially yeah. they're a lot of them, especially they are Canadians because they have three sixty five. They can watch like any tennis match they want just on their three sixty five account, which is awesome. And I mean, they they watch enough tennis where they can they can just tell like this is this is kind of how this. And again, Kelly. Uh, the guy he writes articles at, at our website, and we do the podcast with him. He he's done a lot of this with the French Open, where he he writes about how a match is going to go before yeah, he the, crafts, the match he starts. Quali- he qual- he's he says, qualitatively this crafting. Is where I'm going to write. He's qualitatively qualitatively he, crafting he, the trajectory he's that he's expecting, and he's very very good at that. Very good at that. Interesting. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, and I did yeah. talk to him about that. It, it's like a it's like a high reward, no risk kind of thing where it, you lay out this narrative and say, this is how I think this match is going to go. And here's a really good spot ahead of time yeah. for entry. And he has, and he, he also has, the he, match 
way. And right, if, if, right. Yeah, if it doesn't go that way, you know, if the trajectory is different, it's not yeah, a bet it's, you're it's locked pass, into. It's, it's a bet yeah, you it's think yeah, it's, it's yeah. passed, and there, there, there's, you're at, at zero risk at that point. Whereas yes. if it goes just how you see it going and you feel like you have a line, on it's, it's almost exactly what you described. Except he hadn't described any sort of shapes like you did. But yeah. says, this is the trajectory of the match. If this if X, Y, and Z happens, I'm live betting here. And I mean, he's crushed that so far. Way yeah, better, we should work together his, because you know, the, <laughs> the best models yeah, are, are more, not entirely qualitative or quantitative, but they, they have elements of blend. Yeah, it's, it's a blend, right, for sure. I think if you he, just take one and not the other, you're missing something. Yeah, he uses quantitative indicators too. Like if a guy's not getting break opportunities, then that to him is a sign that he's having a bad day, right? Like he's he's using actual quantitative tool, you know, the signal also, right? Like it is, it is a blended approach. He's got a qualitative expectation of a path, and he's basically saying, okay, like if this guy's not even getting break opportunities, then that's an indication to him that like, okay, it's not – there's, you know, there's, there's not going to be an improvement in this performance here. He's just, he's, he's not, he doesn't have it today, right? And well, another and fun sure, thing about tennis, yeah, <laughs> is, is different points have different amounts of leverage, right? So oh, you can have a guy who's won half the points, oh, yeah. yes. but be way up or way down, and you ask yourself, okay, well, you know, maybe he's up two sets to one, but he's won, you know, he's he's, he's only won half the points, and maybe you might expect a regression oh, yes. in terms of, of the, the the actual outcome of the match being closer to the point by point. So when you when you're looking at these things in play, do you pay more attention to the, the state of the score or to the number of points won and lost? And this is an open question that hopefully I'd one day like to answer. Yeah, well, I think the opportunity is there. And, and there's that the, the in-play tennis betting market is becoming more liquid by the day. Um, there are people that, that do this and make a living on it. It is not, this is not a shallow pool. Uh, and there are, are definitely opportunities to, to fashion a, a tool to, to really hit this hard, I think. Um, and yeah, I think leverage is, is hugely important. And I think that's the number one factor that's kind of utilized in the um you know in the pricing that you see in game i think they are taking game state in its entirety practically uh combined with a little bit of pre-game price uh and they are giving you an in-game price like i think that's that's effectively all all that goes into it and and yeah sure if you you can watch the match or you can pick off hey look oh man like i think that guy just uh, tweaked his hammy oh I, I think that guy you know he's he's really favoring his shoulder right now like you can pick off you know a signal like that like by you know adding your own eye to it um and that's how most people think that they are going to beat the live in play betting market. I don't think there's many people that are using, uh, you know, a Bayesian tool like what you described or using any kind of a shape portfolio or something more complicated like what I'm describing. But uh, I wish I had that but, kind of free time to watch uh, 100 <laughs> matches a day. I know, seriously, right? Um, I mean, if you love tennis, we say this all the time. We just yeah. quit our jobs. We have all these problems. I know, I know, I know. It's true. It's true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the two, the, the two most common ways I should say, there's probably a third, the three most common ways people are beating the in-play market. Uh, one is, you know, picking off, um, you know, picking off aspects of the match that can only be identified by a human and not an algorithm. Uh, the second is, um, uh, you know, 
being faster than the uh, than the computer, having a courtsider there who's you know got a key fob in his pocket and is sending sending out the information to you, so you know it uh, you know, on the high leverage points. You know what happened before the computer knows. Uh, or the third being, you have some sort of inside information as to when a player is going to turn it on or turn it off based on some sort of match fixing scandal. So you know, I think I think those are probably the three common ways people are beating this market. Well, the uh, second and, and third and sound two, a lot easier. They, <laughs> they not only do they sound a lot easier, but they sound like they could really eat into your edge if you did come up with a very, very useful uh, model or tool. They sound like they might uh, wind me up in a ditch somewhere, <laughs> uh, make me dig my own grave. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't oh, know the math. I, there, there's a guy we're going to bring on this summer, Matthew Trenhall, who I talked to at one point last year when, or maybe it was the Australian Open, where I was trying to figure out like. I was trying to figure out price origination for tennis because it was driving me cra- freaking crazy. Because like I saw what was happening, like who marathoning lines when, and I, yeah, I was like, marathon opens at first, and he's like, marathon doesn't come up with those prices, and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, these are no. the books. That, he's like, the books, the first, the first it's books China. that hang prices are Russia, then Czech, then Eastern Europe, a bunch of books hang prices, and like these things get kicked around, and like they're they're literally like the Western European uh, markets wait for. Um, you know, some of the match fixing nonsense from Eastern Europe and Russia to to shape the numbers before they even take them and start letting. Yeah, that whole thing is going to be a hard pass for it's, me. <laughs> it's great. It's so so the 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 entire. Yeah, you might, tennis might not be for you. Well, it's it's, it's <laughs> sketchy sometimes. Well, the, but the but the other thing is you can strip a ton of the noise away because it is just one person versus one person. Right. It's not you, you don't have, That's you know, 11 part. people, 11 people on each side contributing with each of them having their own, you know, goods and bad days and motivational questions and things like that. Like a lot, a lot of the uncertainty. Well, that's the thing about away, like an injury you know, when it comes to tennis. Yeah. If, if it's a subtle injury like it's that you're picking up on. Yeah. If they're, yeah. If they're favoring something and you pick up a real subtle injury on, you know, the left guard in the, the red blacks versus the BC lions game, you know, it might not mean a whole lot, but if you can pick up that same subtle injury where you're just slightly favoring something in a tennis match, he's the only player on that team. You know, a, a, a baseball play or a football play, there are hundreds of possible outcomes, but a tennis point, you either win it or you lose it and you go on to the next one and you're just repeating, you, you're having repeated observations of the same thing over and over again, which, which does make it very attractive for, for an analytical kind of application. For sure. For sure. Okay. So we, we all have day jobs and that's holding us back from being the world's most successful gamblers. And we're just going to have to live with that. Um, but, but in seriousness though, like, are there other projects besides tennis and play betting, uh, that really like spike your interest in terms of, you know, how you like to interact with sports, things that you're like to do, you, you apply your plus EV, uh, mentality to. Uh, there, there are a couple of things. I've, I've done some horse racing in the past. Maybe we'll save that for, for my next appearance because I could go on about that for a while. Um, figure skating is an area that, that, that's, that's kind of caught my interest. Uh, and my, my wife is a real figure skating fan. She's into it a lot. And I, I watch these, these uh, competitions sometimes with her and I say, well, you know, these things are, these judges don't really have a lot to go on, especially they have like an artistic score that they add to their technical score. And I bet there's a lot of ways to sort of subconsciously influence judges. And I'm not even talking about betting at this point. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> having the Canadian Olympic Association hire me to, 
to 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 do like programming of routines and things like oh, music man. selection. Oh. You can probably oh, figure out like that Russian it, chick that had her yeah, the Russian girl that had her titty pop out. Yeah, you don't like want the, that. That's, I will, that's, I will, that's, that's, that's not quite where I was at, but <laughs> that, that's minus C V. No, yeah. I was <laughs> I was in I was on a different plane. <laughs> but, but but yeah, he, 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 yeah, we. You, the human brain we, is so fallible, right? I mean, yes, you, I, I, I can envision a world where you can say, okay, well, you know, when you when you when you have a, a music that's in three four time or it's 120 beats per minute or whatever, the judges oh, tend to man. look subconsciously so, more favorably. You are absolutely onto something here. Uh, okay, so first of all, wh- whether or not you know it, you're talking deep into to, the weeds on figure you're, you're, skating. Yeah, you're this. talking to you're talking to some figure skating handicapping professionals like we we oh, got right. uh, oh yeah we got we got into this big time like we we bet the shit out of the uh winter olympics uh across all sports but figure skating was one of the most fun and one of the actually ironically enough the most uh the most tense moment i had in all of february 2019 was not the patriots eagle super bowl it was the uh the canadian uh team <laughs> dancing ice dancing Drew, routine oh my god I, I don't know if I can keep my emotions down. That, that was so big. It you was were crazy. all in them, Scott. You, all you were blown Scott away Tessa. by the artistic beauty is what I assume you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. And actually, you know what? Actually, it's kind of crazy. Um, and you know, this is all weird and anecdotal and funny and kind of reminiscing, I guess, at this point. But uh, we had some big bets down on uh, France. I was I was heaviest on France under golds going into the Olympics because I did not believe that the biathlon uh, participant who did exceptionally well in, um, uh, in the 2014 cycle was going to be able to repeat his success in 2018. And so I thought they had completely over uh, overshot the chances of France number of golds for the total Olympics. And so I was heavy under five and a half golds. Well, it turns out that biathlon guy killed it. Uh, He got more golds than he was even expected to. uh, And it really put that, bet on like on thin ice uh for no pun intended uh and it, the can, the canadian ice dancing team was important because we were also pretty heavy on canada golds over uh i know also we had action specifically on that and i just bet on scott team. And Tessa too. yes yeah on them specifically getting gold um and uh, in the um in the short program uh the french team uh screwed up they had a wardrobe malfunction uh, that cost them big time in the artistic points. Uh, I think and, I remember that. And so, and we were like high fiving each other, like yes, like this was this was a huge swing. Like it was going to oh be close God. on Canada over. It was going to be close on France under. And if France won this ice dancing gold, it would absolutely crushed us. And uh, and so the long program rolls around. Oh my the God! French, and the long routine. The French team. It was the perfect. French team. They were the French were perfect. It, it was it was it was one of the best ice dancing routines. It was the best ice dancing routine I've ever seen. And going back through the historical <laughs> scores, going back through the historical <laughs> scores, it was the highest scored routine that they had had. In like their entire career, the French team in the long program just absolutely hit it out of the damn ballpark. And I'm watching it live and we're doing our numbers. And I'm like, Scott and Tessa are going to have to score so much higher than they did at Worlds last year, at the last Olympics where they won. I mean, like they're basically going to have to hit it out of the damn park for themselves. Like do their personal best ever score here to win gold. Like this sucks. I was crushed. Uh, but they did great. They did great. It wasn't as great as France's long program, but it was good enough to win the gold. So that, that uh, wardrobe so, malfunction, so uh, that, that won your bet. That won the bet because the so keep that in mind for yeah, the next bad beat because we tend to remember the bad ones, but not the lucky ones. Yeah. Put yeah. that one in the bank. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure.
for sure. I, am I am I recounting all of that correctly, Andy, or has it been too long and I've had too many gins? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I'm, you know, for sure, that was it was awesome because we did we did clean up and yeah. Shout out to our friend the mill who helped us out a lot with uh he really got into the really got into the Olympic handicapping too. And I guess just back to Matt's original point before we just hijack that with more <laughs> Scott and Tessa stories. Honestly, and I mean to tell you the truth, I bet the I bet the Cavs when they were down three one in that series, I've hit. 25 to one, you know, football parlays. I've, I've had some big wins over the years. Like the Scott and Tessa win was still one of the best. It was That'll so, always so stick good. Yeah. It doesn't matter. A special long. place in your but heart. Back to, yeah, <laughs> like, and this, this might, this might be a, yeah, it might be a conversation for a different day. Cause we could go on forever, but that is super interesting. The, you know, it, it makes me think of politics and a, a, po- a podcast I just listened to, or Maybe it was something I read as far as how much you can influence an election through social media. Just and it, it boils down to psychology and you know just inundating people with with the right messages. And for sure, like that that's the same vein. If you if you can agree. figure out what judges what like like what judges like what music, what judges like what kind of outfits. Right. What I mean, frequency band really the music stuff, is I don't know shit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Responds yeah. and I, and I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's somebody that's already digging into this. Like for sure. I don't know if there is. It's a fallible <laughs> human. <laughs> you, you give me a call. We'll, we'll talk. You know, because I, I have more. I, I mean, okay. If if you if you're gonna start, if you're gonna start, all this start, shit's on tape. I mean, you can yeah, you can start back testing yep. this. Yeah, and if if you're, if really you're looking for, we really went in a weird direction. I know, there. but if you're if you're looking for a place to start, start with the France Long Program from the 2018 Olympics and ice dancing, <laughs> and break down whatever it was that they did in that program. Because I don't know ice dancing for shit, but I watched that program and I was like that was a gold medal program like holy it was magical it was it was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous it was ridiculous and yet they got silver all thanks to uh, a boob sl- to a, a, a nip slip so um very very lucky on that all of that all of those aspects but um i love the concept i love the the, the um kind of the underlying philosophy there i'm sure that you're right uh, i'm sure that there there's you know, music that's familiar, music that takes you back to your childhood. You know, like I'm sure that there's like a date range for picking music or like pop pop culture. You know, music that that you um, associated your in the back of your head with. Um, you know, positive pop pop culture. You know, from movies, from ballets. You know, from oh, yeah. things that are that just, are happy. I mean, or, that just charged something loose. Like, yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, from, from from like high school. Uh, in, in a class I took, we had to pick a poem and read it in class and I don't remember I, I think I read like Casey at the bat. I think that's what it was. And I I didn't even do a good job. I didn't prep. I didn't like practice it. I pretty much just read it verbatim shittily. And I got an A. <laughs> and the t- teacher said and it was be- and that I, I will always remember this was like ninth grade. The teacher <laughs> said when he had to read a when he had to read a poem when he was young and I mean, this teacher's old. Like that, this guy went to Nam. This, you know, this is, I don't even know if he's still with us. But he said when he was young, that's the poem he picked and he read. It. And I didn't know that. But like that, it's the same thing. Like, that, I got an A exactly just because it, it triggered triggered something inside of him. Oh, no, exactly. My God. Wow. Andy gave me yeah. the system in high school to get an A. Really? Poems. Oh, so I, you hired I, a I private investigator to, to look into that, that. Good for you. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, um, yeah, just like 10,000 foot view, like psychology and sports betting or psychology and sports. That's I love it. It's going to get bigger and bigger as people realize it. 
I the human that. brain is a fascinating thing. Yep. Yep. And it can be, uh, it can be, um, short circuited for sure. If you, uh, if you're using the right tools, I'm, I'm a guarantee it. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. This was super fascinating. Uh, we happen to have a guest, uh, from Toronto, uh, with Toronto, uh, first ever, uh, trip to the nba finals is uh is the energy in the city for real like is it uh are people like like legitimately um you know jumping at chomping at the bit here i guess i guess uh what what is the 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 temperature in the uh uh in your part of canada and uh what are your expectations for the raptors it it, it is uh it's it's really great i mean it's been the, the last time there was this kind of energy in the city was the 1993 uh world series when uh, when joe carter hit that home run i don't know if you guys remember that i was actually oh, in the oh. in the cheap seats for that <laughs> oh, game boy. i was little but um, i remember it oh, yeah. Yeah. i remember well and, yeah. and, it, and it's kind of like that like my my, You're my at the game? son has i was at the game 1993 yeah oh yeah, it was great. That's my awesome. dad took me. It was, it was cool. one of the best moments of my life. Andy, did you go to um, the Kirby Puckett game the year, a couple years before? You two, you two. Oh, you. I was, I'm much younger than either of you. Yes. Oh, I do remember. Were, I can you, remember you, watching it. I can remember, remember watching, watching 91. Yeah, a- a- Andy's a twins. Guy, I don't remember so he, eighty seven. He's got similar yeah. feelings about that. About but I, I do have. Uh, yeah, I, I have more than a uh, fan interest in in this series. I I, I am holding some uh, Raptors futures that were offered by another one of these lottery corporations. And what happened was the day the Kawhi trade went down, um, everyone else <laughs> moved their odds from 40 to one to 20 to one. Yeah. Except for the one that didn't in up, up, up here. And uh, I'm holding a 37 and a half to one uh, Raptors future that I, I have to figure out if and how I can hedge at some point. But uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a Raptors fan for more than one reason this week. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah, that's hedgeable. That is great. It's hedgeable. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that you can yeah. carb that if you want it. You can scalp that if you want it. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I, I'm you know from my personal perspective, I'm going to be uh, pretty uh, pretty loaded up on Raptors game one. So if you you know if I maybe take a take a tiny hedge pre series, but I think you're going to get an even better number on the Warriors to come back after game one's over. Um, I'd love to go. Tickets are going for like a thousand bucks a piece for the cheapest seats in the in the <laughs> building. Man, that's like three pro line parlays, huh? <laughs> three pro, pro line parlay cards across uh, across eighteen across eighteen gas stations. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember he's, he's talking Canadian dollars. We have no idea how oh, many okay. Louis that is. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. It could be anything. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Uh, well, uh, best luck. Yeah, to this Raptors. was this was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. Really interesting and fascinating conversation uh, about a lot of things. And you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll. You know, be sh- what do you have coming up that uh, people might be interested in, uh, as far as some uh, some of these same co- sort of topics, and uh, uh, and you know, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at @plusevanalytics. Uh, I've got this article coming out with uh, with Joseph Bookdahl, one two expert. I think his Twitter handle is. So that's probably going to be published in the next week or so about. Uh, Looking at Nate Silver and 538, and how how predictive their uh, their numbers are for for European soccer, and uh, you know after that we'll just kind of see what comes my way. I love it. Well, uh, great stuff. Thanks for your time. This that was, was a ton of fun. Wicked and, awesome. Uh, yeah, great to be yeah, here. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Yes. All right. Best of luck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if you think if you think it was eclectic this week, wait till we get into <laughs> Women's World Cup next week. <laughs> yes. We got some. Not joking. We are we rolling winners. with it Monday. I we know. got some winners for you. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Will. 
Thanks a lot.